0: Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now, sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, welcome back to the Insight Through Experience podcast, everybody. This week should be fun. We're talking everything problem solving as it relates to our A&S process. We're going to define what we mean by problem solving. We're going to discuss why it's important to us in our context. We're going to look at ways that the brain actually does problem solving and how it pulls from our past experiences to try to build patterns to solve something in our um, that's sitting in front of us. And last but not least, we're going to get some tactical ways that you can get better at being creative, finding creative solutions, and uh, overall just being a better problem solver over your lifetime and maybe even more important as selection nears. Alright, grab something warm to drink, grab a pen, a notebook, sit back, relax, and let's get into problem solving. Alright, so the first question we're going to answer this week is what is problem solving in our context when it relates to ANS and what do we expect to see from candidates as they're problem solving? So I'm going to read directly off the document that's on the website Again, all of this, all this information, we hang on there, so you're not surprised when you get a selection. So problem solving means identifies and uses resources to generate and critically evaluate courses of action. That's the broad definition. And then we dive in deeper. We expect to see an applicant's ability to effectively create functional solutions to problems ranging from familiar and relatively easy to problems that are novel and complex we assess this by observing how you define the problem presented organize and plan work with the assets provided formulate ideas that lead to effective solutions and employ solutions that make sense and have a high probability of being successful so why is problem solving so critical to us well in our context we work in small numbers and usually attach to other formations meaning when you're on target you're the only specialist or one of only two specialists in your skill set. This means as things progress on target and start getting chaotic, you're going to start seeing things that look familiar to you, maybe in a medical context if you're a PJ or a, a CAS context if you're a JTAC. But the problem is nobody else on the ground is, are seeing the same things. Why? Because they don't have your experience. They don't have the trials and errors that you grew up with inside the community of learning your trade. They don't see those forming, only you do. So your ability to see those problems and create creative solutions inside your head and then be able to speak to those in a way that the ground force leadership uh, can understand and action and make decisions, that's why problem solving. That's why we have to hire good problem solvers to come up and help us in those situations. Another question we should think about, especially in the PJ or the JTAG context, is what are we blind to on target? What, what information are we missing that would help us create better solutions to the problems we're there to solve? And a lot of times these are tactical ground maneuver blind spots that we have. These teams have been working together forever, for a long time. They are tactical experts and they're used to moving together so fluidly that we don't really see the cues and the the actions that they're doing. They just don't make total sense to us. We don't know that we're blind to them, but if you go in with the awareness that you are, then you can ask better questions to the guys around you or the leadership to help fill in some of those gaps. So, again, go back to the JTAC context. If guys are maneuvering all over the target and I'm trying to keep ISR updated um, and I need to position cast aircraft or get ready to strike a target in some fashion, I need to be constantly listening to the ground net, I need to be communicating with a ground force commander or a team leader so I have the complete accurate picture when I'm starting to create my JTAC solutions or my medical solutions if I'm a PJ. That's why it's important to understand what you're blind to on target as well. All right, now that we've built some context around why problem solving is so important to us, I think the next logical question is, when we're confronted with a problem, what's our brain actually doing to create those effective solutions to the problem we're confronted with so when it's time to problem-solve how does our brain do it well it obviously uses our past experiences the patterns that it's used to and the trials and errors have all formed the tracks in between these stations if you will so let me explain that metaphor a little bit further imagine that your brain is a vast network of train stations and each of those stations represents a new solution now your past experiences the patterns and the trials and errors that you've experienced throughout your life have built tracks in between the stations but only a few of them and the more you had those experiences and you saw those patterns and you had trials and errors that pointed you to those same stations you kept building those tracks stronger and stronger and stronger there are still millions and billions of nodes that have zero tracks running to them. So when a problem presents itself to you, where do you think your thoughts are naturally going to go? In between the stations that already have tracks that are built and sturdy, or to the outlying nodes that have zero tracks built to them that your brain has never traveled there and done any kind of thinking or thought process towards? Yeah, it's going to go in between the tracks that you've already built or the stations that you've already built tracks towards. It's not that you don't have the ability to think other ways. It's that you just are conditioned. You have built assumptions in your brain and those pathways are now going to follow those assumptions. Therefore, when I see the math problem 2 plus 2, my brain instantly travels down that track that has been built so strong and reinforce my entire life and it's going to go straight to the answer of four. Is that the right answer? In our context it seems to be. But could it be something else? Of course. But I'm not going to think about anything else because my track is so strong in between those two nodes. Another good example to always use is learning how to ride a bike. When you got on the bike for the first 20, 30, 40 times, there was no train track built in between the two nodes to figure out the balance and to another node to figure out The pedaling speed, another node to figure out the turning ability and how I lean to the left or to the right to make the bike go where I want it to go. Through all of those repetitions, you are building those train tracks between those two or three or four stations. Once those tracks are built, you can get on the bike and do it fairly well. The more that you ride your bike, the more that you pedal, the more that you turn and lean left or right to figure out the turning um, radius or the turning ability. Those tracks are getting stronger. Now, if you go to YouTube and you ever watch the backwards bicycle, you'll see what happens if you stick somebody on a bike. When you turn left, it goes right and vice versa. When you turn right, that the steering wheel goes left and you will see that the brain is trying to connect the stations from its old methodology of when I turn left, the bike goes left. The brain is then having to reach out to new nodes, to nodes it probably hasn't used before. So now it's having to build new tracks to go out to nodes that tell the brain, hey, when I turn left, it's actually going to go right. And when I turn right, it's actually going to go left. You're going to have to rewire the brain all over again to connect those new stations. So I said all of that to say this. When we're problem solving, our brains are going to go down the conditioned path. And that's why it's so dangerous in the military. We'll talk a little bit about it later, but we get really conditioned. We're really constrained by processes and procedures that are placed upon us, which are good. Don't mishear me. Those are good things as well. But when it comes to creative problem solving, they also constrain us. And last but not least, I think something very cool that I read in a book called Deviate. Neuroscientist Bo Lotto describes the space of possibility. Now the space of possibility in his own words, are the patterns of neural activity that are possible given the structure of connections in your brain. And then he goes on to say, your experiences build these connections. So what does this mean to us? When you go to solve a maybe a familiar problem, you have a structured network in your brain that is optimized to help solve that problem because you've got the pattern recognition, you've got the experiences, the neural pathways are already formed. When you are presented with a novel problem, the structure is not necessarily supporting those solutions. It will try to, it will pull de- disparate pieces of information, it'll look for patterns that are kind of like something you've seen before, but your brain is really going to have to work overtime and struggle to try to develop creative solutions to the problem you're looking at. All right, let's look at a quick example just to demonstrate what we're talking about here. So imagine we have a, a helicopter we'll just use an MH-60 because that's what we're familiar with up here. Now, I have two tasks. One, I need to get into the cockpit, start the aircraft, and fly it. Number two, I need to get in the back of the helicopter and get the minigun operational and use it. Now, for me, I have a bigger space of possibility around that minigun. Why? Because I have used other heavy weapons in the past. doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to sort this out with a minigun because the minigun is a very complicated item. You know, it takes pow- a power system coming from the cockpit. So there's probably a switch up there. I got to figure out uh, loading. It's not the same. Like there's a whole bunch of differences with that minigun than any weapon system I've used in the past. However, some of it's similar. So my brain as it tries to pull disparate pieces in it's looking for patterns that I recognize from my past but it's also trying to pull in other things so I can figure out how do I get this thing functional. Now, if we look at the cockpit, totally different story. My space of possibility for that cockpit is minimal. Like I know what the pedals do. I know what a collective is and what that does for the helicopter. I've never seen anybody start a helicopter. I've never seen, I've I've been through shutdown training before, 15 years ago when I was an operator. So I have very little um experience to pull from there aren't many neural pathways built for me to get in that cockpit and figure out what buttons i need to push how i need to get that thing started much less fly it once i do get it started let's imagine that i have some teammates with me problem solving becomes a little bit different then my biggest charge then is to figure out how do i take all of their expertise pull that out of them collectively synchronize that into some effective solutions, and then pick the solution that works best. I have a much better chance of getting that minigun operational and probably even getting that helicopter started and flying if I pull in those resources effectively. And that's what we expect to see from you during selection. Let's look at another example that brings us a little more closer to the context we're used to operating in. Imagine we're on target and God forbid one of our teammates gets shot in the chest. If I'm a controller, an SR guy, or a TACP, and I come up and I'm the first on the scene to treat the guy, I have some space of possibility in my brain. There are some neural pathways built. I have seen some things like this before because I have had TCCC training. We have practiced this before in some of our training events. So I'm not totally blind to what's going on. I understand I need to do some kind of algorithm um, to start treating the wounds. I need to stop bleeding, then I'm gonna get his airway um, all these things that I have at least a basic understanding. But it's still not the same. I'm still blind to some things that a PJ would see clearly if he came up on target because, or came up on the patient because his space of possibility in his brain is so much, so much more deep than mine. Mine, probably compared a shallow mud puddle, maybe a little bit deeper. His, a pond or a deep lake because he has so much experience in dealing with this. So as that patient starts... Getting worse and worse, uh, the controller starts running out of things to do. Like I have used all of my space of possibility, and now I'm having to create. If I have to creatively solve this problem, I'm going to be screwed. This PJ, that but he knows exactly what to do. If it, the PJ or if the patient starts having a tension pneumothorax. The PJ is going to know I need to either do a chest tube or a needle decompression. The controller has some of that in there, but he's not going to be as comfortable and he's not going to see the same patterns. Um, and the same signs as the PJ would. So that's what we're talking about inside the space of possibility. So going back to when you're on target with a, a ground force and you're attached to somebody else, they see some of the things that you see, but their brain is not tying it all together. That's what we're there for, to communicate that to them so they can make better decisions. I think it's important to note though, why problem solving means so much to us is not just due to these technical scenarios that are familiar to us. It's because up here in our positions, we are presented and confronted with a whole lot of novel problems that we don't have a lot of pattern recognition for, that we don't have experiences in that space of possibility to help. So we need guys that can come up and use the assets around them to build creative solutions, to tap into people around them or to the resources they have. That goes back to the definition that we read earlier about what we expect in problem solving when guys come up here. So an example for this is we do a problem solving scenario during ANS that's gonna put you and your team in a novel predicament where you're gonna have to conduct a mission that you have no clue on how to do. There's enough of the mission to where you've got some past experiences, some of the guys may have dabbled in it before, And we get to see how the team comes together and creates creative and effective solutions to solve the objective of this mission that we drop on you. Now, the interesting thing about this mission is that we give this to our support folks as they come through their own ANS process as well. This mission feels tactical. It feels like operators should have a leg up in solving it. And if I ask the audience, if I let you read this mission and you see what what the details of the mission are and I said, hey, who do you think is going to be better? Um, support folks who have never done anything like this before in their life or operators who at least have some kind of tactical foundation and could probably sort their way through it. I think personally, 95 to 100% of people would say the operators will knock this out of the park. In our experience, it is the exact opposite for kind of what we're talking about, I think, or what we're about to talk about is the support folks are unconstrained in their thinking where the operators are very constrained in their thinking. And why is that? It's because we've grown up um, being taught that there's only one or two proper ways to do things. When I'm relaying information to an aircraft, it has to be in a nine line format or an abbreviated nine line format. Um, If I'm a PJ and I come down and it's time to treat a patient, I need to follow the March algorithm to be successful all these things are good things, but they're also very constraining if we personally don't do things in our lives to pull ourselves outside of those constraints. Meaning, and we're going to talk about this later, but I should be reading things that don't just specifically tie to my skill set every day. I need to expand that space of possibility in my brain by doing other things. Or when it's time to solve novel problems, I'm going to be in the same ravine that I'm in every single day and I don't even know it all right mr free we've heard a lot of defining the problem but we haven't heard much solutions coming from you let's talk about solutions at the individual level first so ultimately what we need to do what we're charged to do to get better problem solving is we got to start building up our experience the database inside our mind that space of possibility we have to start expanding it and you can't expand it by doing the same things that you do every day you expand things by seeking out new novel experiences so I'm always going to suggest reading books that tie things together outside of your context so that means don't just read Tackery data or books don't just read war books even though I think some of those are really good read things outside of your context read things that are going to make you smarter and then you can start tying some of those theories into your Jay Tackery skills or your PJ skills or any of those tactical problem solving that you're going to do. Listen to podcasts that push your thinking. I'm a very, I try to stay out of the political landscape as much as possible, but I'm a conservative. That's just how I am. So I force myself to listen to a host of liberal podcasts that push my thinking. Sometimes it gets me emotional, so I have to fight through that. It forces me to hear the other sides, Arguments, the way they think, the way they define the problems, listen to their solutions. And then what I've found over the years is, man, they've got some decent ideas too. Some of them aren't, but some of them really are. So now I get to integrate all of that into my space of possibility when I'm going to think about things or solve problems. Lastly, at the individual level, is talking to the people around you. Surround yourself with diverse thinkers. Don't just surround yourself with people that are like you. That's what most of us do. It's our comfort zone. You should be surrounding yourself with people who think differently than you and then get their feedback a lot. Get them to tell you their points of view and then have them describe why they think that way. Use your human performance experts and your psychologists that are at your units or that you have access to. All of these things will broaden your scope will increase your space of possibility. And all of these things you can integrate into your ability to solve problems more effectively and be more creative. All right, now let's look at how teams can increase their space of possibility and solve problems more effectively as a team unit. One of the, one of the problems that we have, I think, even in SOF, is that as we develop our training troops, we tend to create the same things over and over again so that's good at building those pathways for things that we know how to do think about shooting jumping uh, medicine jay tackery all those things well normally if you if you look back through your history and your team training we really just keep recreating the same thing over and over don't get me wrong i understand that we stair step and we get more advanced as it goes But we're usually staying inside the constraints because we don't know that we're inside the ravine and constrained here's a couple of tips that you can use to get outside of those constraints so if you go do a range week spend two days of that to where nobody can use their primary hand the entire day not to reload not to do immediate action drills not to shoot not to do anything so i'm right-handed i'm right hand dominant So for that entire day, my right hand has to stay behind my back. Again, it's kind of like forcing yourself to eat with your left hand for a few days or a week. It forces your brain to learn to connect new neural pathways and learn how to do things a little bit differently. It gives you new perspectives on things. Another cool technique to use to build your team's space of possibility, uh, come up, develop a couple of mission sets, start planning towards them, and then flip the script. Make your JTACs do everything PJ-related, and vice versa. Make the PJs do everything JTAC-related. Don't let them cross-talk. Make them work through. Like if I'm a if I'm a JTAC and I'm handed that PJ role, now I got to come up with the med plan. I got to think through the contingencies of a crashed helicopter. What extrication gear am I taking? Um, you know, how am I going to handle a mass cow? Where is my srt team going to be located make them go through all those things and don't give them any help while they're planning same thing for the pjs how am i integrating my air assets what air assets am i requesting uh what primary and secondary hlz should i be using how am i going to call for exfil and again all this is doing is increasing we're building new neural pathways we're having to think a different way about different things and at the end we're going to build our understanding of the tactical picture a lot better and it helps us be more creative in our problem solving. And maybe the last good idea for both the individual and team level is sometimes you just need to move away from the tactical training and work on some mind training, meaning maybe spend a week, contract somebody to come in or use your psychologist, use the people around you and conduct a week of talking about things that are abstract outside of your work environment. Talk about theories of learning, talk about theories of training, how to get better, how the mind works, meditation. All of these things are going to push your thought process, build that space of possibility, both at the individual and the team level and um, helps you integrate new theories into your problem solving methodology once you're confronted with something novel. All right, let's go ahead and round third and, and go ahead and get ready to close this out. So what does this mean as you're preparing to come to a You need to go to the website like we always say, you need to read all the materials on there, you need to check out the book lists. If you go down to the preparation items section on the page, you'll see our attributes and expectations. Inside that PDF are all the book recommendations that we have given you for each of our attributes. So it's gonna list the attribute, give you the definition, give you our expectation, and list a set of books underneath it. I'm going to update that on the problem-solving one because I've read two books that I think would really help folks out when it comes to creating solutions that are effective and created. Um, one of them is the one I mentioned earlier, Bo Lotto, that's spelled B-E-A-U. And his last name's Lotto, L-O-T-T-O, and the book's called Deviate. And the other book that I've read recently that I would suggest is called Peak Mind, and it's by Mishi P. Jha. Deviate will help you understand what's going on inside your brain and how to create better solutions or more creative solutions. Peak Mind really focuses on your focus and how to focus more effectively. And it also gets into some meditation and some other things, which is a whole different subject. If you can start calming your brain down a little bit um, and dialing it in a little bit better through things like meditation, uh, it's going to help you be more creative as well. So I think those two books can really bolster um, your ability to solve problems. All right, y'all, I hope this has been beneficial. I appreciate what all y'all are doing out there. If you have any questions, go to the website, hit me up, My email address is on there under contact info, and we will see y'all next week where we'll tackle another attribute.